This is iFanboy, pick of the week number 694, brought to you by Mac Weldon. Use the promo code iFanboy for 20% off your first order. And iFanboy listeners just like you. There are few things pure in this world anymore, and home is one of the few. We'd have a drink outside, maybe, running out if we saw a couple men in blue. But to me, so damn easy to see that your people are the people at home. Well, I've been away, but now I'm back today, and there ain't a place I'd rather go. Oh, I feel home when I see the faces that remember my home. I feel home when I'm chilling outside with the people I know. I feel home, and that's just what I feel. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode number 694. I'm Ryan Haupt, and this is my co-host, comicbook.com's James, he's dead Jim Viscardi. (laughs) What's going on? I don't know where Josh and Connor went. Who cares? It's our show now. Sure. And I went into the office, as I often do. We we still have an office. We don't know the website's no longer a thing, but there's still an iFan office, as I call it. And uh, they were sitting in a convertible, holding hands, driving towards a cliff. And that was the last I saw of them. So uh, I don't know what's going on there, but, you know, as you pointed out, the inmates are running the asylum and, and we're right. here to do the show. Let's be honest. Upgrade. And so we this is our first time podcasting together. So Josh described this as something of a blind date. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because I've listened uh, to the show when you've been on. Yep. And so I I kind of feel like we've been friends forever. Right. But we've been. But this is literally the first time that. We've literally talked to it. This, to is, this is how podcasting works. Podcasting. I've given up on saying that I overheard on a podcast and I've started just saying my friend said <laughs> in real life, just because it's not worth explaining that my podcasts that I listen to are my friends. For this week, at least, you and I are a fanboy. And every week we read a stack of comics and one of us picks their favorite book and we call that book the pick of the week. And we're going to talk about that book. Other books in the week, the patron pick, and maybe if there's some time, we'll read some listener mail. And it's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. Uh, We don't know exactly how it's going to go. Like I said, blind date. I I wore a red carnation. That's how you knew to find me on Skype. Um, (laughs) This is your spoiler warning. Review show is what this is. I don't know why I'm speaking in Yoda cadence, but there's going to be spoilers. So just be smart about it. You know how to handle spoilers. There's time codes in the show notes. So we, we tell you exactly how to avoid them. You have no one to blame but yourself. This week, I have the pick. And for the pick, I have chosen Conan the Barbarian number eight. Story by Jason Aaron. Art by Gerardo Zafino with Gary Brown. Colors by Matthew Wilson. And letters by Travis Lantham. Are you reading Conan the Barbarian, Jim? When... You were going to have the pick of the week. I was like, oh, man, I hope it's a book that I'm reading because that would be really awkward. Because otherwise, yeah, either I'm talking to no one or you have to catch up on a book you're not overly fond of. Naturally, I am not reading this book. But I catch up on a lot of Cliff Notes and I kind of know what's going on. But what I, what I, I, what I want to do is basically listen to you explain why you liked this as the pick of the week and see if I really need to start reading this book because there's nothing for me that like says, Oh, I need to be reading a book about Conan. There's nothing about Conan that I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to read right now. But 
maybe you can change my mind. Okay, interesting. This issue might actually be a good one to start. It's part eight of The Life and Death of Conan. But this issue actually kind of stands alone because it's a new artist. I believe this is the first issue Gerardo Zafino has done. I don't know if he's sticking with the book. He's a style that I would expect more on Brian Wood's Northlanders than I would expect on a Conan book, mm-hmm. which I did. I flipped through it, and it actually looks... I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, it's gorgeous, I think. I, I love the art on this issue. This is the first time he's he's done it, as far as I'm aware. And this issue is Conan going home to Samaria, the, the land in the north that he's from, and the sort of snake priest that he's been sparring with off and on in the course of the series has essentially infected the people of his village as his followers. And so they're no longer worshippers of Krom, they're worshippers of Thothamon's snake god, and they're out to get Conan. It's interesting because so much of Conan as a character and as a series is about this barbarian from this really rugged, tough-to-live-in place being out in the world that's different from where he came from. And so to see, I think this is the first time as a reader of Conan comics, uh, uh, Connor and I have discussed before, I've never read any of the, the novels or pulp or anything like that. But this is the first time as a comics reader, I've seen Conan in his homeland of Samaria. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because uh, Conan is is also not always the most empathetic character in that he's often not concerned with how other people feel. But now Conan is dealing with people that he actually grew up with. And so he has emotional stakes about these characters in a way that I've not seen from Conan himself before. So when he's bumping into people, even though now they're possessed and it almost has kind of like a a cultish zombie type possession where they're like trying to eat him and feed him to the dogs and all this other stuff. And so Conan has to, to fight the people that he grew up with that raised him, that taught him to be the man that he is in a way that is actually kind of heartbreaking. It's a little sad for him. And one thing I didn't expect from this issue is that Conan actually brought gifts back from his travels around the world. You know, his life as a pirate, his life as a thief, his life as a warlord. And he brought back special items from around the world to give to the various members of his village. And in having to fight them, the thing about this issue that I think really cinched it as pick of the week is he uses the stuff that he's stolen, bought, or uh, come across in other ways to incapacitate the folks of his village without having to kill them because he knows that killing them would break the curse, but he's trying to find another way to, to break the spell that's over them so that they can go back to their life as villagers. Um, so he like throws curry powder in one guy's face to incapacitate him. He uses a, a spider web rope to, to tie up some other folks. He uses a really strong grog from his days as a pirate to like, <laughs> to, to, I guess just incapacitate through drunkenness, <laughs> some other folks. Um, <laughs> and then he gets down to his grandmother, who's the last member of his family still alive in the village. And it's his grandmother who, when she sees Conan bleeding from fighting against his own villagers, realizes what's going on and turns on the first person to get infected with the curse. And she's able to decapitate him. And then that breaks the curse for everyone else. And she kind of, they have this really nice moment where she's like, oh, I'm sorry, boy. I didn't, you know, as soon as I saw you bleeding, I knew I couldn't uh, couldn't keep the fight going against you and was able to break the spell and, and fight back. And so Conan actually, it ends with him having a little bit of a nice homecoming where he and his village, you know, get to to battle each other, but then battle against this curse that's infected them. And they all get to see the man that Conan has become from their memory of this 15-year-old boy who was already stronger than any of them anyway. So it's just a cool kind of full circle. Conan comes back, sees the people he grew up with, and, and has an adventure along the way 
story. Hmm. And as far as I can tell, this is like a one and done issue. It ties into the larger story of Conan and Thothamon, the Stygian priest that is trying to bring him down. But the fact that there's this future flash forward in other issues of this book that show how King Conan, once he becomes king, will die. And so Thothamon keeps getting these mystical visions that he's not actually going to be the one who gets to bring him down, but he keeps trying. So so Conan keeps having these sort of run-ins with this snake priest, even though the snake priest is not really Conan's true arch nemesis. And I don't know, I just, I kind of like the Conan bullheaded, I'm going to do the right thing by Krom, no matter what. The sequence where he's taking out all of the other villagers as non-lethally as he can reminded me a lot of that scene in the dark Knight where Batman takes out the SWAT team without actually hurting them. Like he's wrapping them up in the ropes and then like kicks them off the the building and lets them hang there to, to get rescued. So it was Mm -hmm. sort of that level of like, he's clearly so much better at fighting than everyone else that it's trivial for him to overpower them. So for him to actually figure out a way to not hurt them is more difficult. You know, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. You know, when just kind of flipping through it, some of the the magic that looks like is is kind of at play here mm-hmm. uh, really ha- it really intrigues me quite a bit. And and even just sort of flipping through it and, and reading it, not really knowing what was going on, but still being able to follow the story. There was enough there that got me. So I am probably going to check out the next issue and work backwards. Yeah, the thing I've always liked about the the magic in Conan is that it's always very, like, visceral and guttural. It's not like, it doesn't have the Harry Potter, faux Latin, flip out a wand and blast an energy bolt thing. It's always, like, it's it's closer to a Game of Thrones where it's blood magic and Mm -hmm. maybe a cauldron shows up. But it's magic that's not something that anyone can pick up, nor should most people. Like, it clearly comes with uh, a cost and, and a cost that many are not willing to pay and, and most right. suffer from the use of. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I read a fair number of books this week. I didn't get through as many books as I like just because of how my schedule was. But once I started thinking about the different books that I read and sort of the impression that they left me with or the story that was told, uh, I just couldn't deny that of all the books I read from both the storytelling and uh, in the writing and the art, there was just no other book I could pick but Conan number eight. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but I also really want to talk with you about Batman Last Night on Earth number two. It's a story by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo, colors by Placencia, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, are you reading this kind of weird Black Label Elseworlds book? So I think this would, would have probably been my pick of the week. And it's funny because I didn't really enjoy the first one, but this in the crazy kind of world building that Snyder, you know, lays out here and being able to let Greg Capullo go just wild, Mm -hmm. everything from landscapes to, to character design is, it just fires on every single cylinder possible. I felt it feels like a story that matters and a and one that is just a ton of fun that I wish that they would like spin out another book or two out of this because there are are questions about certain characters that are in this book and trying to figure out you know how and why they got this way that I want to learn more about. 
Yeah, that was actually, so I put this book as our first book to talk about after the pick, because again, I, I'm, you're right with me. This was close for being the pick, but I almost felt like there were as many ideas in here as there were story. And I almost, I felt a little bit lured away from the story by some of the higher concept ideas that Scott Snyder is, is throwing out here. And I'm like, there is a lot going on in this book. Right. And I, I, I want to know, I would love to, I would love to hear from Scott, why is this idea restricted to just one page of Batman's travels? And why is that not an entire issue? Cause it sounds fascinating, you know? which is, and it's totally crazy to think because this is, I mean, this is a meaty book. Like this is 50 some odd pages of, mm-hmm. of actual story. And even then you're just like, oh, I wish he explored this more. And like, and I get that, you know, if this was a regular comic book series, this would, it, every chapter would be its own issue. It would take place at this rate over what feel, you know, would be two to three years. And so I appreciate getting it in these thick of chunks because it feels like a Netflix type model where it feels like a show that has hour long episodes that kind of feel like movies. That kind of, and is it one of those shows that doesn't really need it? <laughs> it should have the 40 minute episodes. Actually, you know, it's a Netflix show is probably the wrong, wrong example. I'd say it's more like a, a Sherlock. That's a, okay. you know, more of a, a, a maxi series where each issue of this book could be well, a while doesn't yeah yeah well yeah no, well, saying now yeah totally yeah. Op- it totally doesn't work all by itself but for what you get out of it and in everything that it, it sort of does from start to finish feels like that and and i and i kind of appreciate that it feels a little bit different than your standard you know monthly comic and again it's the, the size of you know two and a half of them. Well, that's, that's what kind of threw me a little bit actually, as I was reading and there's a moment that in any other book would be the end of the issue. And so I know we said spoiler free show. So, you know, just to reiterate, here comes the spoiler. And it's the moment when Superman shows up in the jacket and the beard and picks up Batman. And I was like, Oh, well that was a pretty good issue. And then I turned the page and I was like, (laughs) like, Oh, I still have a whole nother book to go. Am am I getting a preview of next month's issue? Nope. Here's just a whole nother (laughs) issues worth of story. Like, and that actually threw me for a loop in a way that it didn't diminish my enjoyment, but I was kind of ready like to take a break from it. And maybe I should have taken a break, but I didn't. And I kept reading and and it was really good, but it was just, it was a lot more. Right. So so for folks who may not be reading this, this is basically a far future Batman story where Batman is is traveling the world. It's a with, clone of Bruce Wayne, I think. Yes. Right. And it's uh, he's traveling around with Joker's severed head that talks to him. A Joker who's desperate to be Robin. <laughs> yes. Like there's a moment where he's like, Oh, can I be Robin at this point? He goes, no, I would choose anyone to be Robin over you, even this horse. And then this, then the horse dies. And Joker just goes, Oh man. Uh, he goes, that Robin died really quick. It was just a, a really great. It's, it's just one of the things that Scott does. I, I think really well when, when he's a bit more focused, like I'm not totally sold on his, his justice league room. Cause I think there's too much happening there with uh, a, a lot of characters. Uh, but when, when Scott is able to just sort of focus in on, you know, two to three characters at a time, you, you know, in a scene or, or for a story, 
he's able to hit a lot of notes. He's able to hit a lot of the, the suspense and the, the horror that you would kind of expect from this, but he hits a ton of great humor beats. Naturally, a lot of them come from the Joker. You would expect the Joker to be, to be very funny, but a lot of, but like I said, you know, just even in that Robin scene, Batman is very funny. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's just so cool to see part like different parts of the, DC universe and its characters kind of realize, right? Like there's this uh, scene where this is, it's this red tornado that's coming by and this is in that, you know, sort of that Joker horse Which scene. I thought was going to be red tornado. Right. And that's what it is. Like, it's you're like, you're reading this and I'm like, Oh cool. We're going to see what, what red tornado looks like. And it's, it's literally a red tornado. So it has to be done on purpose. And then it comes close and it gets by and it's, all of the flashes in basically as a living embodiment of the speed force in a tornado that are just crying for help. And, you know, it's, it's freaky. It's, it's really freaky, but at the same time, like super cool. And then there's like a, you know, a great unknown soldier type stuff, which then bleeds into, you know, a really cool shot of a swamp thing that, that calls back to the stuff that Scott did with Swamp Thing, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool, just with, you know, the red and the green and, and all that. And it's it's it was just fascinating that you kind of only just needed some of those glimpses. But again, it's those little insights that that make you want like, oh, I really would love to see what the rest of that Swamp Thing story is like or how the right. flashes got that way. And, and maybe he'll maybe he'll I mean, he explains it a little bit in the in the narration of it. But like, I want to see that. I want to see the events that led up to that horrifying, you know, mashup of flashes. I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing where if we saw it, we'd probably be disappointed in it. And this is so this is probably the better way to do it, just to use it as seasoning of this this other story that he's telling. But yeah, it's very good seasoning. (laughs) But yeah, and like I said, I, I just I love the I love the chapter breaks. And it's interesting because it's interesting that this book comes out on a week that for another book that we're going to you know, talk about next, I think, you know, with Hickman and his, what he's doing with House of X and Powers of X, where to me as a reader, I've been craving someone for someone and, you know, a team of creators to come around and, and change up storytelling in a, in a way. And reading a book like this in this style with a creative team that's so sort of in, you know, in sync with one another with 53 ish pages of story that are there, you know, Scott's telling big ideas feels like a different way of reading and enjoying this type of episodic content, right? This this serialized storytelling. And then on the flip side, you've got Hickman, you know, just sort of breaking up or presenting a style of storytelling uh, that's broken up with sort of his his info dumps that he's kind of known for. But at the same time, like when you read Powers of X, there are things in that that make you want to go back and read, you know, the the issue that came before it in House of X. And so it's it, it's just interesting because like these are very different styles of storytelling that feel very different from just your standard issue of comic. And I think I appreciated this and the next one, you know, more because of that. Yeah, so – uh, our next book we're talking about is Powers of X number one, story by Jonathan Hickman, art by R.B. Silva, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by Clayton Cowles. And this is the companion book to House of X, as uh, Jim was kind of hinting at. And yeah, this is another style of cramming a lot of story into a single issue. Can you can you help me? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so I and I think we're not meant to. 
Ugh. Right. And don't, that's, and I don't that's, like that answer. It's so, but here's the thing. It, this is a book that's coming out weekly where house of X or presents the story in the here and now powers of 10 is supposed to basically uh, explain Wait, is that what to the us. Book's called? Yeah. The book is called powers oh of 10. God. I know right. it's really, so first it's of all, really ridiculous. Didn't know that doesn't make any sense with the X-Men branding in my opinion. Right. But I mean, but you're, but you know why the book is called powers of 10 I get immediately it now after from, that first page. from the story itself. But even reading the story, I didn't pick up on that. It was you saying it that made that part click for it because it tells the story over 10 years, a hundred years, a thousand years, whatever. But when you, when you justify it by saying it's weekly, you're like, what you're saying to me is, Hey, reading each issue is a lot of work, but don't worry. It's work you have to do every week. And that's not comforting. <laughs> well, I, it's not that I'm not I, enjoying it. It's just that yeah. these books and it's not, and it's some books when you hit a wall of text, it's a slog. And right. admittedly, when I turn a page and I see that it's a wall of text, I'm a little disheartened, but Hickman's good at this. So these, these, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. These first two books were not as reader friendly as I would hope they would be for number one issues. They're super not. They're super not. I mean, you, you have to go into it or they're they're It's like Marvel and Hickman are asking readers to just come into it and just say, trust us. But when books are five 99, especially for first issues, that's a lot of trust. You're asking for someone especially when you're asking them to do it week in and week out. But again, like Snyder, he's clearly got so many ideas. Right. And the thing, the thing about Hickman's books and and you can, I I would love to hear if you agree or disagree with me on this. Mm. I feel like if I sat down and had a discussion with Hickman, I would know what was going on. But when I read the books, I don't. And I'm not sure where the disconnect is coming from because he's not a bad writer. There's nothing technically wrong with anything he's written but I also fail to know what's happening a lot of the time. And I don't know that that would be the case if he just told me what the story was. I don't know if that would necessarily be the case, but I think when you look at Hickman's previous work, the stuff that he, he did on Avengers now, you know, arguably I did not like the stuff that he did on the regular Avengers title. I, I liked new Avengers much, much more, but and also, you know, you look at the, some of the stuff that he did with fantastic four and FF and secret, uh, secret warriors. There's a method to the Hickman madness that if you stick through it, it makes the ride incredibly enjoyable. And it was funny cause we, we actually, we did a small interview with him at comicbook.com. Sorry for the cheap plug, but he, there's a a moment where we were talking to him and he says, when you read each new issue, it will make things in the previous issue make more sense or, or, or just sort of illuminate some stuff. And I, I kind of like the scavenger hunt of going back and rereading and being like, Oh, that's, that's, that was right there. It's like, at the, like at the end of the movie uh, of a heist movie and they show you all the things that, happened to to make the heist sort of go well that they kind of did in secret right in front of your eyes like a magic trick i kind of like that and and like i said it's it's a a new and different way of of reading comics that is asking a lot of a regular comic book reader or so again that's someone who who may not feel they have the time the means or the energy to to want to go through this yeah Again, I think this is a fine issue. The art's gorgeous. Um, beautiful For looking sure. book. Beautiful looking book. I yeah, mean, I'd say know, yeah, between, between Silva and, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting the artist on House of X. Uh, Pepe Larez. Okay. 
I think Pepe Larraz and Arby Silva are fantastic artists in their own right. It's very interesting. Like they clearly seem to come from like the house of Eminem. I would say they're, they're, mm, their styles yeah. very much to me feel like what, what Stuart does. And I think being colored by Marte Gracia helps that quite a bit. As far as the story in this book, it basically starts off because I remember Mar- Marvel was doing a marketing campaign showing a page in this book where Charles Xavier is talking to Moira McTaggart and they're like, this is the most important page in X-Men history. And I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, But it, it starts off with, you know, in the in the past where Xavier and Moira are meeting and Moira is like, hey, uh, I basically know who you are. We go quite a ways back, which makes me think that this is. Nothing that we're seeing feels real. It's it feels like it's either uh, a dream or or something that you know all of these you know then connections will will kind of make sense. But then yeah. uh, you know it breaks up into it gives you basically a glimpse of events that happened into House of X with Mystique, where she had the mission with Sabretooth to go steal something. And then it kind of just goes to crazy town in that it just, you know, it jumps off into the future. Clearly something happens. There's Sentinels and oh, regular Sentinels and Omega Sentinels. And it, it just gets, and it, you know, we you meet a few new mutants. There's a red Nightcrawler uh, who is... Cardinal. You know, yeah, Cardinal, um, who you know you don't, don't know necessarily much about, but he's still kind of just as devout as you would expect a Nightcrawler-like character to be. And then there's this Rasputin character who looks like you know the mix of uh, a Colossus and a Magic. But the cool thing about her is when you get to like one of the first info dumps of the book, you come to learn that she's actually not a child of anyone. She was a, she was created in a lab and she's a, a, a chimera basically that was uh, built with five different mutants. She's part Quentin choir, part shadow cat, part Colossus, part magic, part she's got yeah. like, yeah, she's got six different part, uh, Laura Kinney. Mm-hmm. 23. Yeah. yeah. She's got everything. She's got, she's yeah. the best. And you just come in and like, and like Sinister is somehow involved. And I think even just, you know, my theory is in some of those first pages of House of X, where you see some of the, the humanoid beings that are popping out of the, the Krakoa born things. Like to me, that feels, it, it feel, it felt incredibly sinister. And my theory is that there's somehow Sinister is behind a lot of this. But then they say in this book that, oh, uh, Sinister died at some point. So I'm like, well, okay. But it was interesting to meet these new characters, get that info dump and be like, uh, oh, okay, here's here's what that means. And then it immediately kind of changes the way I plan on perceiving kind of the the stuff that's in the the rest of the book. Um, I love seeing Nimrod as a... Uh, a villain. Uh, he's always, he's always kind of been one of my favorites that I feel like has been a jobber for, for a bit too long. And so I'm curious to see what Hickman does with him. And then, you know, when they show the Nimrod that's in the far, far future and he's like basically this, you know, if you've ever played, uh, destiny, he's, um, like one of those floating robot things, uh, in the far future. And I was just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's pretty cool. But there's a lot here and there, there, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot to digest. This is a book that sounds crazy, but like you need to read almost three times to feel like you've gotten 
everything. Like there's that, that first read through where you just want to get through it and just read through it. Um, you know, inevitably at one point you come across a Magneto who's wearing green, who looks like he's taken some cues from Polaris. There's uh, a regular sort of Wolverine, uh, who standing next to who, what I assume is black Tom Cassidy, who looks like uh, Groot at this point. And I guess ultimate universe Zorn. It's an interesting group of characters. There's a bunch of interesting concepts it's one of those things where it still feels a little bit too early in the series to be like, well, do I enjoy this? Do I not enjoy this? And it just feels, it feels weird to say, right? Cause like this is supposed to be like the big event book and I, I enjoyed it. I just don't know how to recommend it to somebody. Yeah, no, it's, it's not an easy book to recommend, nor is our next book. Yeah. The Green Lantern annual number one story by Grant Morrison art by Giuseppe Camicoli with, Finishes by Trevor Scott, colors by Steve Olaf, letters by Tom Orsetsky. So Grant Morrison decided to write an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> yes, that is exact. That is the perfect way to explain it. All right. Next book. <laughs> um, so, OK, there was a moment where this could have been the pick. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just bonkers McTavish enough that I was I was I was pretty into it. But then it just, it reached a certain point where I'm, okay. It should so have ended and then it kept going. A little bit, but also it's, it's, uh, it's Hal Jordan at a family reunion type thing. Apparently he gets drunk and falls asleep in the bathtub and nobody like is worried about that. <laughs> oh, Hal just drunk in the tub, in the tub again. Right. And all the adults are passed out and all the people younger than him are awake and they've rescued this electrical alien being that ends up kind of being the bad guy and it's interesting it's got a lot of the grant morrison big idea stuff but then at a certain point you're like okay i have to remember that i'm reading this book written it's being written literally on a typewriter because grant morrison does not use a computer (laughs) so so his um awareness of like how this stuff actually works in terms of how people interface with technology and and um, just the way we talk about stuff is a little dated. Is that, is that? Yeah. Better? Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. You know, it's the, uh, the, the crux of this whole, the villains of this thing is obviously, you know, the, the thing that they save is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's actually inevitably becomes the villain and it, they're villains that are, or it's a race of aliens that operate in sound waves. No electrical uh, waves. Oh, no, sorry. Right, electrical waves. Or right. electromagnetic sorry, sorry. waves, yeah. Yep. Um, so like, you know, Wi-Fi, cellular, cellular signals. But even uh, the signals that, that Hal's brain uses to communicate with the ring, they're able to interrupt. And that I thought was really cool. I was like, that's yeah. a cool idea. Yeah, like, like there's a ton of really cool, fun kind of not what if concepts here, but more just like questions that you would inevitably at one point or another have about Hal Jordan as a Green Lantern or Green Lanterns in general and how their powers work and things like that, that are kind of on display here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like uh, towards the end when they defeat the thing that Hal creates a satellite dish out of his Green Lantern ring and ends up shooting the thing off into space. And I was just like, that's not a thing I would have thought you could have done with the Green Lantern ring, but uh, apparently you can. Yeah. And the family, I mean, unfortunately I found the family dynamic a little baffling just cause I don't know as much about Hal's it, family. It just felt very, like 
if you didn't know that they were Hal's family, there's nothing in there that would have told you it was it was his family. He could have just woken up in someone else's bathroom. In someone else's just, bathroom. Yeah. He could have just been punched into the building and that was enough. And then like the end of the issue, he lays out his uncle for some reason. Like, yeah, there was a, a weird disconnect and cliffhanger at the end of the book that I'm just like, OK, I, I don't I don't get why that happened at all. Yeah, because you get you got nothing in the in the issue to say, like, who's this weird uncle? That's, you know, uh, out back doing something nefarious, but he looks nefarious. So you just assume he's a bad dude. And then unfortunately, I think the art looked fine, but I think, you know, I like Giuseppe Chemicoli a lot. I don't know mm. that having someone else finish his work is the best yeah. service to the art that could have been done. Yeah, I think what works with with Chemicoli is. He's got such a distinct style that even if he's doing layouts or or even pencils, you kind of need him to to finish it. And that when you let someone else kind of either either come in over it, who may not be as stylistic or as strong, it just feels a bit weak. Yeah. So unfortunately, one of the one of the main reasons this kind of fell out of the running for the pick. Uh, besides the awkward family dynamic that I had a hard time following, I just felt that the art wasn't quite up to snuff, and it, which was a little confusing to me because it's an annual. Like, are you beholden to the same publishing schedule when it's an annual, or could they have waited a couple of weeks on this and and let Giuseppe finish the art? I mean, I, you know, he's probably got other stuff going on. I'm not trying to pin him down on any right. one thing, but I did think the art suffered a little bit in a way that kind of yeah. diminished my appreciation of of the overall craft of the book. Otherwise. For sure. Uh, are you reading Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man? I am. And it's one of those things where, like, Tom Taylor, man, he is a hidden gem. That dude does not get nearly enough accolades for anything that that, that he's on. He just makes books better. Tom Taylor is very good, and he is the, the man who wrote this book. Uh, the art was by Ken Lashley and Juan Cabal. Colors by Nolan Woodard and Marcio Minez. And uh, letters by Travis Lantham again. So uh, we're, we've been following this story of Spider-Man realizing that one of his elderly neighbors has been a superhero for decades. Mm -hmm. My, my kind of one takeaway from this book was like, if you ever wondered how Captain America responded to Japanese internment, now we know. And it wasn't great. <laughs> like kind of just went to his one Japanese friend and said, Hey, you, you going to the camp? I'll escort you. And I'm like, that's not great, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> And you also learned that Cap's, uh, Cap was a, a giant prude, confirmed. That I liked. That makes yeah. sense. Um, yep. And then that especially tracks with the MCU where, you know, it's unclear whether or not Steve has kissed anyone since 1939. Right. It, it was just it was just a funny like moment where like Spidey's asking her like, oh, man, I want to get something good about, uh, St you know, Captain America. And he's like, tell me tell me about how what Steve was like. And he, she just get back. He was a prude. And I, I, I no joke let out a legitimate laugh out loud just sort of at that moment because, you know, up to that point it was, you know, fairly serious ish and it was just it, it dropped and the story just kept moving, which well, that's, I mean, that's one of Tom Taylor's strengths is he yep. he is one of the comic writers who can actually he can nail a laugh line. Not even like on a page term, but in within a page, which is mm -hmm. hard to do in comics. And the art on this was pretty cool. Like they used the dot pitch coloring for the older scenes. And then like <laughs> it switched to black and white once they were at the camp and everything kind of got took a dark turn. The book itself got darker. And I thought that was 
there were a lot of nice little stylistic touches that I thought worked very well. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing where because of modern politics, I feel like grappling with something like Japanese internment is a prescient move to make. And and Tom Taylor's Australian, so he's not an American commenting on American issues in Australian. Mm-hmm commenting on world issues and i think that gives it an interesting spin but it doesn't feel disingenuous it doesn't feel like he's it doesn't feel like he's punching down on a country that did something wrong once absent of you know his own morality or whatever i think he really Mm -hmm. gets it and he gets why spider-man would be invested in a character who had been through that it just works it's also interesting too to have spider-man sort of teamed up with prowler at this point because they're two very different characters that approach things very, very differently. And it's kind of, you know, he puts it on display towards the end of this issue where Peter goes to go see if he can get some help from Tony Stark. And there's a great line about like Peter sticks to the window of the tower. And Tony's like, I just had those cleaned. And he he goes, and you leave a residue. And Peter's like, wait, I leave a residue. What are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just a a funny line. And then, you know, then you've, but you've got someone like the prowler who just can't sit still. And he's like, Oh, I don't need Spider-Man. I'm just going to go, you know, do this on my own and inevitably gets himself into trouble. And so, you know, just to see the, their dynamic, especially in the first part of this issue, uh, and, and the paths that they go on sort of towards the end, uh, I'm very curious to see sort of how, you know, it all just sort of comes back together. Yeah, and I just I kind of just want them to update Prowler's costume from Spider-Verse. Right? Like what the heck? Cuz Prowler's a cool character. I've always liked Prowler. I've always thought Prowler was cool, uh, I guess from the animated series in the 90s, but especially after Spider-Verse where they just kind of made him this awesome presence. Mhm. But if you're dealing with a Prowler, you probably should be wearing underwear. And so <laughs> I feel that it's important to tell everyone about Mac Weldon because Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, unless what you're wearing is Mac Weldon, which happens to be what I am wearing right now. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. And the smart design comes from a lot of cool things that they build into the underpants that they sell. They've got a no roll waistband. They've also got a, a, a leg hole that cinches up against your legs so that if you're a person like me I, I don't know how you get to and from where you go every day Jim but I'm a, I'm a cyclist mm. so my legs are constantly they're pumping right mm-hmm. and uh, if I got a, if I got an underpant that's gonna ride up my leg if I'm pumping my legs on that bike they're, they're gonna ride up by the time I get where I'm going but not Mack Weldon because they, they cinch around the leg in a way that prevents that from happening tell you what the, tell me. the no roll waistband though that's clutch you don't think you need it until you try it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was mm-hmm. something that I did not appreciate about my old underpants. <laughs> That's right. Um, so Mac Weldon guarantees they will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies and sweatpants that you will ever wear. They want you to be comfortable. And so if you get a pair and you try them out and you think, oh, my iFanboy patron power is that my waistband still rolls <laughs> and you therefore don't like your first pair. You can keep that pair, but they'll refund you. No questions asked. They do not want your underwear back. They cannot stress that enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm not going to say that there was an issue in the early days, but, you know, just keep your underpants, get the refund. Not a big deal. So check out the newest products from Mack Weldon, including the new Ace and Radius pants. I've been getting into some new kinds of, I don't want to say outdoors activities because they don't necessarily occur outdoors, but activities that, that, that require a... A stretchy pant, especially in the crotch region. Oh, like but rock climbing? Are you rock climbing? Indoors? I've been a Is rock climber for on? a long time. Rock climber, though, I, I will wear shorts comfortably doing that. Okay. I'm into activities now where I need a long pant. 
I'll just tell you, I've been I've been doing trapeze. Oh, that's cool. You need a long pant. You need something covering the back of your knees so you can hang from a bar. And so I, I'm very interested in these new pants because I need a pant that is active but stretchy and and stylish enough that I don't feel like a doof. Because I'm not ready. I'm not. I'm just not ready for that leotard lifestyle yet, Jim. So, <laughs> someday, someday. So I may buy some of these Ace and Radius pants, depending on whether or not I, I think they're trapezable. And for that, I would use the promo code iFanboy because that will give me 20% off my first order. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code iFanboy. Now, Jim, you are I, I this is the one book this week that I couldn't quite get caught up on, and that's Captain America 12. Mm. Uh have you been reading it? I have been. So story okay. by Tanahesi Coates, art by Adam Kubert, colors by Matt Miller, letters by Joe Carmanga. I have been liking the book. I just I dro- I mm-hmm. wasn't able to catch a few issues, and so yep. then when you suggested it for the the rundown, I just wasn't able to to catch up in time to mm-hmm. to talk about it. So tell me what's going on. This this is a book where one I think Adam Kubert is doing some career work, and it's really interesting to see someone who is a veteran like Kubert work with someone who is a, a proven entity in, in comics with coats, but still relatively new. Uh, the, the story here is basically has been, uh, cap has been in prison with a ton of, you know, ton of hydro folks, ton, ton of people that he has been, uh, he has put into prison, uh, really all stemming from the death of Thunderbolt Ross and that being pinned on him and all the stuff just sort of stemming out of Secret Empire, Hydra Cap, the works. The cool thing is, is, is Cap has broken out and he is on the run. And this is a really cool, but we've seen Cap on the run before, but this is a, a very cool modern run uh, or a modern rendition of Cap on the run that we, I don't think we knew we needed uh, in, until it sort of presented itself, but you're, you're dealing with a cap who's got an identity. He's having a bit of an identity crisis That's that a you'll, you, you can't, you can't use that phrase. <laughs> right. at, at the end. And you, you see it, you see what happens at the end of the issue, but he's, there's a lot of self doubt in Steve Rogers right now in that he, you know, there's, he knows there's a, a ton of problems here, but, doesn't know like we don't know who needs Captain America right now, and uh, you know he he meets up with with uh, Sharon, and Sharon basically tells him he's like, you know the world doesn't need Captain America, you need Captain America, but Captain America is dead, and I thought that was a really it's a really cool line and a moment that just sort of happens and and it feels like a true turning point in the series this far you know 11 issues in basically at this point with this being 12 that says like cap has endured an immense amount of stuff up to this point he's out he is still basically america's most wanted number one nick fury is after him uh you know begrudgingly he you know call makes a call into to bucky and so you're gonna you're getting your your cast of cap supporting cast is, is sort of all here on display there's a really cool moment where the, they've ha- they've uh, captured um Str- uh, baron strucker and they they're using something that's in the that debuted in the very first like Starenko nick fury shield stuff with the um the sort of uh, simines and uh it's just it was just a, a, as a long time sort of cap fan uh agents of shield fan or uh you know nick fury fan sort of a general it was a cool thing to to see 
And so like you have all of that great, cool, classic cap stuff. And the team that Steve has to turn to for help is basically every superpowered female in the Marvel universe, from Spider Woman to Storm to Sue Storm, uh, you know, to to Misty Knight to Mockingbird. They're all there. White Echo. Tiger. Echoes there. Yeah. Yeah, echoes there. Like, yeah, they're they're just all there, and it's funny because there's a moment where he like he goes, "I need a team," and he wants to. You can tell he wants to use the word like chicks. He goes, "Why is everyone in the room?" You know, and he, and he stops, and Echo goes, uh, "Chicks," <laughs> and uh, he goes, "Well, that's not the word I'd use." And Spider Woman goes, uh, "Broads," and it's just it's just a, such a great, just sort of lighthearted moment in a in a book that's been, you know, a very very serious. And then you know, towards the end. Uh, you know, it, it, Sharon basically says like, you know, you, you don't need, you know, Captain America right now that we, what the world needs is Steve Rogers. And he puts on my favorite costume of all time. The one, uh, designed by Marco Djurjevic, uh, way back when is the Steve Rogers super soldier costume, uh, that, you know, I think you see in Cap Winter Soldier for a bit is with his costume there is modeled off of, um, so in the comics, it's the one that he has the, the energy shield. And it's just, it's just a cool moment uh, again. And like the Alex Ross covers have been just so good on this series that it just, it makes you just want to pick them up off the shelf and, and keep reading. Um, it's a very cool, modern at its core cap story that if you are not reading, you are missing out on a great book. A couple of quick things. Mm-hmm. Chris Evans has also said that that's his favorite cap costume. So you're, it's the best. You're you, you could not be more correct. <laughs> I really like how Tanasi Coates is referencing Rick Remender's run a lot, which I don't think was yeah. has been as celebrated as it should be. I think we're still, I think a lot of Cap fans still harken back to Brubaker, which is mm-hmm. valid because Brubaker's run was seminal. But you know, Remender definitely left his mark on the character. The one quick question I have for you is, how do you feel about? Tanasi Coates as a comics writer, do you feel like he's evolved his craft? Is he getting better at this? Because I felt like his, some of his first issues were, you know, he he suffered from the same foibles that any prose writer coming into comics would. Where do you feel like he's mm-hmm. at now? It's funny. I'm not the biggest fan of his current work in Black Panther, mainly because I just don't really like the setting that that book is taking place in. It's not that the the book is not good. It's just that story. I just you know is isn't necessarily the connecting w- with Wakanda me. Wakandan Galactic Empire. Yeah, the Wakandan yeah. Galactic Empire um, uh, book, and like the first couple issues of the Cap Run felt they were very wordy and, and but to be fair with those first couple of those first that first arc was with Laniel Yu which is a very you know a very talented artist in, in his own right but a very different artist and I think when you pair Coates up with an artist like Hubert you get something very very different and I think that's why I've been enjoying this so much because I think you can tell Coates is letting Hubert do his thing a bit when it comes to storytelling and just sort of laying out uh, panels and when you know to to show certain stuff that it that it feels more like a, a team that is just in in sync in a way that you would want a an A-list team like this to to be and so cool. I think it's gotten a little better Well, let's talk briefly about the end of American Carnage, which wrapped with issue nine, a story by Brian Hill with Leando Fernandez, uh, Dean White on colors and Pat Brousseau on letters. Are you reading or were you reading American Carnage? This one I have, uh, I sat out on. I would recommend going and picking it back up. I'm legitimately bummed that this is the last issue. Uh, we've, we've talked about it a lot. It's one of the books that I've had the chance to talk to a lot about on the show, so I won't 
get into it too much other than to say this issue wrapped everything up. I was just bummed that it had to be wrapped. I wanted Mm -hmm. more in this world. It's a dark world. It's a depressing world. It's a world that feels entirely too close to home with where America is right now. I mean, the title of the book is American Carnage, and it's all about race relations in the U.S. right now. So not a great time for those things. But I think Brian Hill just has such interesting perspective on these issues. And I would have loved for this book if it is what it had in it to go for as long as something like Scalped. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it wraps it up. I It wraps up in a way where I don't see it ever coming back. I don't think it's the kind of thing where they, they left themselves open for any sort of secret sequel, which is fine. Um, it's a compelling story. It's a depressing story, but here it is. And, you know, they got it done in nine issues and, and I, I commend them for that. So I think this will make a nice little book that'll sit on your shelves next to a scalped or a hundred bullets pretty comfortably. Nice. That's, that's kind of my take on it. So yeah. Uh, Avengers 22 story by Jason Aaron pick, pick of the week author. Jason Aaron, art by <laughs> Stefano Caselli, uh, colors by Jason Keith, letters by Corey Pettit. How are you liking Avengers? A re- Jason's had a really good run so far. And this is part one of a new arc. This is part one of a new arc, uh, considering he had to sort of, you know, break up the run. I mean, granted, he wrote War of the Realms, but uh, I feel like his Avengers book started in, in one direction, then got brushed into War of the Realms. And now we're kind of back onto the, the main story that uh, he told in that. You know, or he's has been telling since that, you know, what the, that point one issue, or I guess they're not point one issues anymore. But anyway, uh, this was a really just cool. And uh, this, uh, this is not meant as a pun. And as soon as it popped into my head, I was like, oh, everyone's going to think it's a bad pun. But it's a it's a really cool moment to just sort of pump the brakes on the story <laughs> that he has been telling to focus in on an issue and a problem and, and kick off a new arc with Robbie Reyes, the current uh, spirit of vengeance ghostwriter. And uh, over the course of Jason's run, the the spirit of vengeance has kind of gone rogue. Robbie and the the spirit have not really seen eye to eye. He's been to hell a whole bunch of times, uh, and then just sort of thrown back up. And there's a moment where you know the, one of the cool things about Robbie's character is you know the, the stuff that he does to take care of uh, his brother. And the spirit of vengeance basically uh, puts Robbie's brother in danger by when they're driving down the road and Robbie's trying to drop his, his kid brother up at school. The car is like, you know, I'm hungry. I need blood. Blood fuels the vengeance and like just takes over and controls and drives recklessly. And Robbie is like, this needs to end. I do not want to be the ghost rider anymore. And he goes to all the smart people at the Avengers and they're like, we will try and help you figure this out. But this is, you know, weird spirit stuff. And the Black Panther puts in on a call. They call in Damien Hellstrom, who is always a great character uh, whenever he shows up. But the thing that excites me the most about this in this run is I loved Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider run. He he just has a he gets those characters. It's going to be exciting to see Jason writing Jason uh, or writing Johnny Blaze again. And probably I would imagine Danny Ketch at some point. And so to see how those Ghost Riders interact with the current state of the spirit of vengeance and Robbie to me is, is very, very exciting. And so this is a, it's a gorgeous book. Stefano Caselli, I think is another one of those kind of, you know, hidden gem type artists who anytime he's on a book, it, it just looks great. And the, the dude can do just about anything. He's almost got a man. I like, I'm hesitant to even say this cause it's such a loaded term, but he's almost got like a cartoony Steve Dillon vibe. Yeah. I would say that it's it's like the fine line work and the and the face acting of Steve Dillon, but just a little bit 
exaggerated and cartoony. And see, and I would say, like to me, like the, the, and this may be a crazy mix up, but it's like if Ed McGinnis and Steve Dillon sort of mesh their style match you know, mesh their styles up is kind of the vibe I get from it. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But anyway, it's like I said, it's the, it's the start of a new arc. It's going to deal with ghost writers. Jason Aaron knows how it is one of the best when it comes to ghost writers. Uh, and with the cast that he's got, the art team that he's got, this is going to be, if you're, if you haven't read Avengers up to this point, this is a great point to jump in. All you need to know is, uh, Hey, this is the team of Avengers now. And they live inside a dead, cele- you know, or a celestial and, uh, Robbie's having trouble with the spirit of vengeance. Runaways 23 story by Randall Rowell art by Andres Genelette colors by Matthew Wilson letters by Joe Carmonga. I, I feel like every time I'm on the show, this book is somehow also coming out. And so <laughs> I literally have nothing left to say, but still good. Check it out. It, like it's just, a, it's a fine soapy teen drama superhero nonsensey escapade like it's uh yeah. this is a series that's on my list of like when i get time catch up series and everything everything i've heard about it has been has been great it is a book that always looks great too which also helps mm-hmm. um but again this is one that i have not been able to catch up yet but is is slowly creeping its way up the list of of priority just because of all the good things i hear about it i guess the one thing i would say is that this week in Fantastic Four number 12, there's a low-key Runaways crossover. Mm-hmm. So the events that happened earlier in this book have their ultimate uh, resolution in the second half of Fantastic Four 12. The kind of Is theme. that the bit with Julie Power? Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you're reading Fantastic Four 12 and you were interested or intrigued by the Julie Power storyline in the second half of the book it's explained in this series. It did. It is not touched on other that's than actually good. That's actually really good to know. Cause I yeah. was curious about them. So that that's where it happened. And uh, this issue continues the, the story that, that spawned that. And it's just, it's just good. It's good comics. If you like comics, go check out this comic. <laughs> well, every week the patrons also get to pick a book. They vote on it. They tell us what it is that they demand that we read and comment upon and this week, the patron pick was Paper Girls number 30, story by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Cliff Chang, colors by Matthew Wilson. Actually credited as Matt Wilson, not Matthew in the book, which I thought was oh, that's curious. Weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, Matt, get it together. Figure out how you're credited. <laughs> and letters by Jared K. Fletcher. Last issue of the series. Have, have you been reading this? Or I know you were forced to read it because it's a patron pick, but where were right. you before then? Uh, I, I was following this and I think this is, this is such a weird thing. Like this is a book that I feel like more people should have been talking about that was, was coming to an end. And I feel like not that many people, and I don't know if it's just, I, I have a horrible circle of, uh, of friends, I guess, or comic readers that, that just weren't talking about it uh, enough, but this is, I thought it, I thought it ended beautifully in any way that, you know, that you would have Wanted uh, a series like this to end. Brian K. Vaughn and, and company, you know, Cliff Chang, they just they landed that plane. And it makes you, now that it's over, want to read it again, start to finish. So that's 100% true. Because it's a time travel story, I feel like so much of what happens in the book makes sense in the context of things that come later in the book. In a way where Jonathan Hickman is doing something like this with Powers of X, where he's like saying, here's what's going to happen a thousand years from now. But I'm like, I don't always care about what's going to happen a thousand years from now if you haven't set it up in the present. Whereas when it's a time travel story and it's literally the same characters, I feel like it has a different weight to it. 
Um, and I actually, I discussed this series up to the point it was at about a year ago on the podcast Deconstructing Comics, episode 596, which was all about Paper Girls up to that point. And we predicted, based on the structure that Brian K. Vaughan had established previous in the book, that it would go to about issue 35. So we overshot a little bit. And I think because of that, I was expecting a little more story. And I actually didn't expect it to, this to be the last issue. I could mm-hmm. tell once I started reading, I was like, oh, this has got all the hallmarks of a, of a BKV wrap-up. Right. <laughs> which, yeah. are, which are delightful. Yeah, and it, but it's one of those things, too, where, like, the, the question I was asking myself is, like, I would love to see Brian K. Vaughn and uh, Cliff Chang do something else. But then I feel like when, if they do do something else, it'll just make me want this more. <laughs> like, it'll make me want more, more paper girls. Yeah, this was tough because the story up until now has been so good. But things that happened in the last issue sort of revolved around whether or not our girls, the paper girls, are going to be allowed to remember the events of the series moving forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I expected a, a BKV twist, but he kind of just went straight at it mm-hmm. in a way that that in and of itself was a little surprising to me that there wasn't a twist. And so this issue, issue 30 is almost free of any time travel shenanigans. It's just sort of the fallout from all the events that have happened. Right. This may be a bit of a, a hot take, but I liked, I like paper girls more than I, uh, I like saga and Ugh, I'm not ready I'll to rank those two. That. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know that anything's achieved why the last man says for me. It's funny that we just talked about runaways, which is his, his creation as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's again, the theme of this episode is like writers who have really big ideas. Yes. And, and how do you cram as many big ideas as you have into a, into a story? And so I, I would say this stuck the landing in a lot of emotional beats between the characters, but it didn't, uh, I would say me personally, and I would have to go back and reread the whole thing to justify this comment. It didn't a hundred percent stick the landing on plot. Mm. There was, there was a lot of like weird Apple logo garden of Eden stuff. That's been hinted at and symbolized throughout the series that I'm like, wait a second. We never really figured out why there were all these visions about like Eve eating the apple throughout this entire book. Yeah. To me. Yeah, I could see that. I, I also I catch it more in, in the way that you, you kind of explain some of the moments in Last Night on Earth where some of that stuff was better off just as it is. Otherwise, like, where do you fit some of that other stuff? But I, but I get it. I, I, it. You know, it's I also hold Brian Cave on to an incredibly high standard because I still can't read. <laughs> I do because, I mean, he's he's such an intricate plotter. He's such a smart writer. Yeah. Um, I think about the brilliance of Private Eye mm-hmm. and all the ideas he crammed into that very, even much shorter than this series. And then I think about something like Why the Last Man, which is a book I cannot read the final issue of without crying. Mm-hmm. So I almost hold him to that standard where it's like, if I'm not in tears by the end of the book, BKV, like, come on. <laughs> what What are you even doing, Brian? Come on. I'm Joker standing in front of the Batmobile and saying, like, come on, hit me. Like, give, like, give me the stuff. <laughs> so I recognize that that's, that's completely not fair. But in that sense of unfairness, I think we got to rate it, right? We got to do ratings. Absolutely. Ratings. Um, ratings. You go first. Okay, I think I'm lowballing this by giving it a four and a half. Okay. See, I was, I loved it. 
I'm still going to, I would give it a four mainly because there's still stuff that I would have liked to have seen. And it feel there were, there were some parts with that that felt rushed. I was still totally enjoyed it, but it wasn't the total home run that I wanted it to be, but it was still very good. I was bummed. I couldn't make this pick of the week. I mm. wanted to. Like I, yeah. I went in completely biased and like I've loved the series. I think it's a great series. <laughs> Cliff Chang, I mean we didn't we didn't talk enough about Cliff Chang. Yeah, it's just a modern master. Incredible. The the whole final sequence where it, it zooms out from the intersection where you see them all diverging in the four different directions. That panel was really just sublime. And then it zooms out from the town, the the coastline, the the country, the planet, the galaxy, and then it's like, wait! And they they zoom back in within (laughs) a panel. That's some Scott McCloud level, you can only do this in comics, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's good stuff. So yeah, that was the patron pick. And uh, with that, we have to thank the patrons because... The patrons are the supporters of iFanboy. So if you want to support iFanboy as a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash iFanboy or you can sign up to be a patron. And if you sign up at a certain level, we will give you a dumb superpower. How dumb is it? How useful is it? Can't say. Hard to know. They they come to us in the moment. Uh, is time travel involved? Maybe. Maybe not. All I know is that, Jim, you're up first with uh, Patron Power. I'm, I'm actually excited for this one. So the first one is for uh, Kalon Cochran. His superpower is uh, the ability to to literally make instant ramen in an instant. No microwave, no waiting for water to boil. Like You pop that baby into a bowl and it is done, ready to go. Is there any exertion? Yeah, he, he winks. Winks. It's a wink. Winks. I thought it would be like a wink. snap. I thought it was a nope. Thanos type thing. No, no, because like, because like he's gonna he's gonna impress friends with this. He's gonna impress uh, a date with this. He's gonna drop. Does he it have in to the add bowl. the water, or does the water come from the power? Water comes from the power. So dry ramen in a bowl. Dry winks. ramen in a bowl with the with the seasoning. Winks. Boom. Done. What if he wants a ramen egg? That he has to make separately. Okay. So that's you gotta marinate that. That takes a little while. That's right. But that's not instant ramen. He's got to be able to make instant ramen in an instant. Wow. That's powerful. It's handy. <laughs> in college, I would have killed for that. Yeah. And many have. <laughs> um, <laughs> Andrew Zignell. I hope I'm saying that right, Andrew. Sorry if I'm not. Andrew can see the number of hit points that people have above their heads. Oh. So when he's out in the world, this is a passive power. It happens. There's no, there's no stopping it from happening. He can just tell, like if I have, if I was biking to work and I, I fell and skinned my knee, he would see the number of hit points I lost. I wouldn't have any clue in, mm-hmm. in my world that I exist in. There aren't even hit points. So, but Andrew knows. How do you gain those hit points back though? Is that just like an overtime thing? Like if you're cut heels or something? I mean, it's not as fast as a halo situation. Well, right. But if I, if I ate the right mushroom, I'd get a, at least a hit point back. I'm hoping. Oh. I don't know though, because I'm not the one right. who can see it. So, uh-huh. so Andrew knows, Andrew knows when a person is literally on their last legs and the ancillary part of Andrew's power, I just got, I just got real dark. Andrew, when a person's <laughs> about to go, they're flashing red. He can tell Ooh. it's eighties video game style. Oh man. So they're going to be flashing red when, when their hit points are almost out and he's got a choice to make. Wow. Yeah. It, no, it's serious. It's, it's not a joke. Huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I'm up next. Don Knapp. 
I don't know if he's gonna he's really gonna like this one or not. But Don Knapp, if he if he spits a seed out, he is gonna be able to grow that seed. That seed is gonna grow no matter what. So sunflower seed spits that baby out into a patch of grass, he's getting a sunflower. Into a patch of grass, or could he ruin a sidewalk? Well, just not not concrete. I mean, they they won't grow on sidewalks. Okay, because I feel like that's dastardly if he could do that. That's true. Yep. Nope. No, it needs definitely needs some dirt. That's but that's all he needs. It could be a desert somewhere. It's gonna grow. Sunflower. He's got some sunflower seeds on a trip in the desert. He spits them out. Boom, boom, boom. Sunflowers popping up. So could a farmer hire him? Oh yeah. To like. Oh for sure. Take a four wheeler. Yep. Ride the road, just spitting corn. Mm-hmm. He's going to make some money. Okay. So Don is like the reason corn subsidies are still going to work in <laughs> yeah. our post-climate ravaged world. That's right. Cool. Uh, Andy Hampton. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this one, Jim. Um, <laughs> Andy can do anything a circus performer can do, but only one at a time. Oh. So you know Ultra Boy from the Legion of Superheroes? Yep. How he's got like super strength or X-ray vision, but he or super speed, but he can only have one power at a time. Uh-huh. Andy can lion tame or juggle. Oh. Or trapeze or ride a unicycle, but only one at a time. Okay, here's a question though. I would imagine he can swallow swords. But one at a time. But what about flaming swords? Ooh, that's tough. Cause, cause then there's also like flaming juggling. That's right. Maybe he's like Martian Manhunter and fires his weakness. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I think I'm doing that. Uh, fire okay. fires his weakness, uh, so he can't do it if there's fire involved. Okay. But like amazing trapeze artist. You know, I, I talked about trapeze before. It's on my mind. It is legit. I'm not. I, it sounds like a joke, but it is legitimately a thing I've been doing. So that was on my mind, and I thought, like, how cool would it be to be able to do any of the circus things, but just one at a time without fire. Mm. Without fire, very important. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the thing I like about the patron powers is when you come up with a power that you think holds together, and then the co-host finds the 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 um. Who's the inhuman guy, Karnak? No, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Finds find, the weakness. They find the weakness. And sometimes you got to modify on the fly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are running ever so slightly long, but as the boys have taught us, apparently that's no impediment these days. So let's do a question. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Jim, you want to read the question? Sure. This one, it comes in from Andrew B. And uh, this is a, a meaty one, but a very, very good one. And actually something I'm actually excited to sort of tackle. Andrew B. writes, Do you have any insight into why comic companies started having same-priced variant covers in the past few years? I've never purchased one of the incentive covers that are more expensive than cover price, sometimes way, way more expensive, but at least I understand the motive and the type of consumer that they're targeting. Don't get me wrong, I like the options, but I have a hard time believing they're benevolent enough to just want to give readers more options. Big books like Batman and Superman have been doing this for several years, but so have books like Black Science and Deadly Class. Then again, this only pertains to the physical issue game, so perhaps you don't even see variant covers for the digital versions. There's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. I worked at a comic shop when this was kind of starting. Mm Mm-hmm. And I worked at a publisher when uh, we started doing this. <laughs> so. so my perspective, Andrew, is that you've made somewhat of an oversight in who the real consumer is here. And 
when you say that you understand the motive and the type of consumer they're targeting, I don't think you do because the consumer that the publishers are targeting from the retailer perspective are the retailers themselves. Yes. And the, the actual customer that walks through the door of the comic book shop is not really the customer because all the books in that shop have already been purchased by the retailer. And the way that comics publishing works is unlike certain types of magazine publishing, the comic book shop can't return books that didn't sell. And so a lot of those incentive covers, they're incentivizing the retailer to order the number of books necessary from diamond distributors, the distributor of the books to get those covers to their shop right. to try to sell them at an upcharge. And for the record, the publishers do not charge extra right. for the quote unquote incentive variants. They are the same price. They just have to, let's say for every 10 copies of a book that they order, they can also order one of the incentive variants, but they, they pay what they would pay for the 10 other issues that they had to order beforehand for that book. So the incentivization is to get the, for the retailer, retailer to, to order purchase more books. more books. It's not to get the consumer, the end member consumer, the actual person reading the book. They're not the ones that are being incentivized here. Now, that being said, there are such things. And when it gets to it, like there are like A and B covers. Uh, DC has been doing this way more than Marvel. Marvel used to do a bunch of these, but DC has been doing them way more. And a lot of that is really again, just to get a retailer to potentially order more, right? Like there are some customers who come into uh, a comic shop who may not try something, you know, may not want to try something because the cover of that book just doesn't seem to entice them. And this is very much it, like the, these AB cover things are very much a judging a book by its cover type thing for uh, a retailer. Some of these, like DC has been doing some that are just straight up gorgeous by, um, by some various artists. And a lot of that is the retailer. If the retailer is going to order 20 copies of a book and it happens to be a, a, a book that has two covers, they may split their order down the middle or they may go heavier on one than, than on the other based on what they think will sell in their store. Would you say that I mean, you, you were in a store? Is that would you say that's accurate ish? Yeah, the store I worked at 100 percent had the sort of customer that we felt like we knew well enough to not necessarily predict, but to anticipate what they would prefer and, and try to mm -hmm. cater our orders to that, which is fun. Like it's it's a fun part of the retail atmosphere, like, you know, I hear so many people complain about working retail, but I really loved working in a comic shop. It was really fun, both that there was a line out the door on Wednesday morning, and I knew as soon as I was in the shop on Wednesday, I was going to be dealing with folks who were really excited to come in and get their books first thing. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun that folks who maybe hadn't read comics ever or, or were trying to get back into it after years away were coming in to scope out some stuff and I got to go talk to them about like what kind of books they might be interested in. So I think in a ideal retail environment, that sort of knowledge of what your particular customers might be looking for goes a really long way into determining yep. what gets ordered and what gets put on the shelves. I'd also say, too, though, the speculator market, which a lot of people like to to demonize a bit for the, the fall of comics in the 90s, is really is is alive and well. And there are some people who want to get 
every cover of every uh, of a certain series that they they follow or or try and make sure that they're the ones that they can get you know a copy of a first appearance of a character right like just recently the the first appearance of the new ninja turtle jenica came out to zero fanfare no one knew it was coming uh those who were reading the book probably knew it was uh, you know something like this was coming but it sold out in you know it sold out in an instant and there were you know it's a now a fairly expensive book if you want to get it on ebay how badly did you want to walking dead number one the other week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but again but that's another thing too right or like you know just even the walking dead ending again no fanfare it just happened and people kind of you know went nuts for it there is still a very healthy aftermarket for for collectors you know both feeling like they're they're getting a deal or they're or they're making some money off of this thing to do it but i wouldn't say that they're necessarily out in droves enough to the extent of you know like no everyone who is doing this knows full well that they are not putting kids through college by doing this but yeah. it's it's a it's a fun hobby it's one that uh you know we've been covering it a bit over at comicbook.com just kind of watching that industry or, or that, you know, sort of group of collectors uh, really start to just, just sort just sort of grow. And it's, it's been very, very interesting to watch, uh, especially to see what books uh, are, you know, end up being solid, you know, uh, spec hits and what end up, you know, falling flat on their face. Like uh, last week's Captain Marvel had the first appearance of star and a ton of people went nuts trying to, to find that book. And, you know, is that going to be a big book down the line? Maybe hard to tell, but that's what it, that's what makes it a bit fun. And so there's so many different layers and levels to being a comic fan that it's, uh, you know, publishers know that and, and retailers know that to a certain extent, fans and, and readers know that. And so it's a little bit of everything for everyone. So to answer your question, Andrew, do we have any insight? Yes, we do. <laughs> if you would like your question answered you can email it to contact at ifanboy.com if you are a fan of this program you might like other programs in the feed of this here ifanboy.com podcast empire which includes the out now book explode for planetary book two uh, which i was very excited to listen to because when the planetary book one episode came out i started rereading planetary and i couldn't stop and so i just reread the whole series it's so good um so i was really excited to finally hear them discuss book two and 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 hear their insight there so that was great and then coming soon the animation brain trust will be discussing batman hush i know it's been out digital for a minute but we just schedules have yet to align there's a reason connor's not on this show so uh we we just have to to get that on the schedule we will get it to you as soon as we can james jim tell us about comicbook.com well, it's a little, it's a little site that I run. Uh, no, it's, it's, mom look, and pop it's shop. yeah, just a mom and pop shop. Uh, yeah. If you want movie news, if you want TV news, if you want comic news, uh, or if it's got its roots in comics, uh, you know, we definitely cover it. We also cover, uh, odd fast food, which, uh, our audience seems to really enjoy, uh, which is a, a fun little thing. Uh, we've, you know, we've got some podcasts, uh, if you want sort of a, a an analysis of big movie comics or TV news that happen on a weekly basis, you can check out Comic Book Nation. Um, I, I produced that one. Very proud of it. Uh, but other than that, you know, like I said, it's comicbook.com. It's all in the name, man. Yeah. 
I do a, a podcast called sciencehard.com. Well, I do I do a podcast based at the website sciencehard.com. The podcast <laughs> itself is just called Science Hard of. And uh, I, I'm a scientist. I, it doesn't come up as often as it used to on the show because people complain because y'all, y'all complain about stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'm proud of it. It's a cool show. We just talk about science. I have a beer. We, we talk about science. We might even not talk about science. We talk about things that are sort of science. It's in the name. Our most recent episode, we talk about the mythic lake monster of the chesapeake bay so i guess not really a lake monster but more of a bay monster named chessie nice and some of the historical accounts and theories behind the existence of that strange americana cryptid so uh if you want that like i said science but if you want more comic book goodness you can head over to ifanboy.com to find all of the podcasts that have ever been produced uh 694 and counting plus all the ancillary shows that don't have numbers associated with them. We've been on a few of them. We, we have been on a few of them and <laughs> now we're we're slowly parasitizing it and taking it over for ourselves. Uh we're we're like a symbiote. We're the venom right. of I fanboy. <laughs> um, so find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following at ifanboy on Twitter. Uh, so I, you know, I texted somebody who has access to one of those accounts and let them know what the pick was going to be. <laughs> I was going to say, so, oh no, did you tell somebody? I did. I told someone, I won't say who, but someone was told. Introducing at iFanboyComics on Instagram, where we have the return of one of my favorite features, which is the best mm-hmm. of the weekend panels. So mm-hmm. if you are reading your comics of a week and you see like, oh, that panel was great. It just encapsulates what I love about comics. Those are the kinds of panels we feature on that particular feature i guess would be also the name for both the thing that is featured and and the 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 segment itself you can follow us individually at helped on twitter is me at ryan helped on instagram i recently posted a photo of myself in the chesapeake bay i did not anticipate all of my plugs being chesapeake bay related but there you go (laughs) at jim viscardi on twitter and instagram nice uh if you dig the show write a review or and leave a star rating on iTunes or better yet. Tell your friends about us. I would also say leave reviews for science sort of and the comic book. And comic nation. Yeah. yeah. I also host a Pokemon podcast. A wild podcast has appeared. Uh, it, it, it's very self-explanatory. We just talk about Pokemon stuff. Um, <laughs> well, tell your friends about it yeah. and help spread that love. That's right. Reviews matter. Even if iTunes is going to, screw everything up <laughs> in the <laughs> Apple podcast world. I imagine the reviews will still count. Uh, and as long as they still count, I will still be Ryan. And I'm Jim. And thanks for joining me, Jim. This is a ton of fun. <sighs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Did we do it? Is it over? I feel home when I see the faces that remember my own. I feel home when I'm chilling outside with the people I know I feel home And that's just what I feel Home to me is reality And all I need is something real Home to me is reality And all I need is something real I feel home